This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 111. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I am Colton. And I'm Lom Ramiyasha, and today we are diving into a ton of new simulpups to start off the new year. We've got three new series coming from Shonen Jump, Undead, Unluck, Mashal, Magic and Muscles, and The Guardian of the Witch. And in addition to Shonen Jump stuff, we've got a new simulpub on Comicology to talk about, Ashidaka, the Iron Hero. And on top of all that, we have a new Death Note one-shot. That's right, Death Note came back in the year of 2020, and we're going to talk about that too. A ton of new manga to start off the new year. It's going to be one heck of a discussion and a shorter podcast for your listening ears after a series of some longer episodes. In the past couple weeks yeah this will um i think hopefully this podcast will be uh shorter than 90 minutes i think if i'm doing the math correctly i don't know we'll, we'll have to see but this will definitely be one of our shortest podcasts in a while we heard your feedback on the survey we're gonna be trying to do some shorter episodes like this divide up topics and just make some shorter podcasts maybe some more frequent podcasts so here's the start of that effort all right, there we go. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. But just a couple things before we get on to all the new manga that came out. I just want to sincerely apologize to one of our newest patrons, who is also our good friend and contributor to Manga Mavericks, Maxi Bernard of Friendship Effort Victory, because they became a new patron of ours over at Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. And I want to apologize because they became a patron and I've taken way too long to give them their deserved shout out as we do with with all of our new patrons over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Maxi obviously is a very good friend of ours and we've had them on the show uh, many times before in the past and uh, we'll continue to do so for many podcasts to come hopefully in the future. I just want to give them their shout out and just let them know that we appreciate their patronage. So uh, thank you, Maxi, uh, for not only being a good friend, but again, for being a new patron. And uh, we hope you uh, like our stuff in the future and whatnot, because uh, we, we got a lot of cool bonus podcasts coming up in the future. Uh, there's that. And then, Lum, I think we should give a big thanks to... To everyone else out there who uh, who donated to another thing of ours, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yes, recently All Comic ran into financial trouble, so our webmaster Tyler put up a GoFundMe needing to raise a bit over $600 to pay for side expenses for the year. And very thankfully, a lot of very generous people supported that GoFundMe and contributed some donations including a company called Bad Idea, who contributed a very generous donation of $500. And we want to thank you all for supporting that GoFundMe, supporting all comic, keeping the site around, and, you know, keeping us having a home on the internet for another year. So that's very, very appreciated. Thank you all so much for that. And in general, thank you to everyone who retweeted and 
share the GoFundMe link on social media. Like, that was also, like, a huge help. And a lot of pretty awesome people shared it, and it made me really happy to see that. Mm-hmm. Thanks to you guys. We still have a technical roof over our heads for this podcast. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we basically met our goal, like, within the day, I think. Didn't yes. take too long. So, uh, that's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, big thank you to, uh, to everyone who donated. And, uh, yeah, we really appreciate, again, we appreciate your patronage. And, and now I think we can move on, uh, to all the new manga that we have to talk about. That's right. It's time to jump right into some new jump starts and some other new cyberpunks to start off the new year. All right, but let's uh, let's let's get into some uh, to some simul pubs here. I'm really excited to talk about these, especially since we we have a lot to talk about. Um, so why don't we just get the big one out of the way, the the one that I think probably caused the most discussion online, I think, especially, and also gave Shonen Jump a, a lot of retweets and favorites. I I should have looked it up again, but like I think the last time I looked on that uh, tweet for uh, for the Death Note one shot in particular, it, it was like well over like a hundred k retweets or favorites. I forget it was it was some really high number. I'll have to like double check on that. But I know I know that tweet in particular got a lot of attention. Yeah, a lot of viral tweets came out of uh, screen capping panels from this one shot. And indeed, I can't think of a better note to begin on than this new Death Note one-shot. It is certainly a lengthy one. It's certainly a nice surprise. It's been about 10, 12 years since the last Death Note manga material. So this is kind of a nice, interesting way to start off the new year. And it's also kind of interesting in terms of its premise because it's death note in the modern day kind of looking back and thinking about the original premise of death note can't work today in the surveillance state society we now live in because there are cameras and uh, all sorts of surveillance tech monitoring our every movement and everything we say so how do you actually pull off using the death note and I would say that Oba found a very clever solution, or at least a clever twist and spin on how to do a Death Note story in the modern day. Okay, sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I found the tweet now. So Shonen Jump's Death Note advertising this Death Note one shot got uh, 16,500 uh, retweets, and over 46,000 likes. So I'm pretty sure that's like the most I've ever gotten on one of these uh, tweets advertising uh, new additions to um, new chapters to the vault. So that's pretty amazing. I imagined it's got a lot of traffic. It probably is the most traffic chapter on their site. And certainly it is on Manga Plus, though. That is also because Manga Plus kind of restarted its whole popularity counting metric so it, it's a little skewed in its favor in that case but it's still quite significant oh see i didn't know that that's interesting i promise we'll talk about the actual one shot in a second but like i i can only imagine like how much traffic this 
hopefully brought to the Shonen Jump app and Manga Plus, maybe? Like, I hope this did well for them. I mean, on Manga Plus, it is currently at 872,817 views. So that is quite a significant amount of views. And you can only imagine how much more traffic the Viz release of the chapter also got. So I think it's quite easy to say that between the two sites that over a million people have read this chapter. Which speaks to the enduring popularity and, and mass appeal of Death Note, I would say. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I can only imagine how many people like went out of their way to download like the Shonen Jump app probably to read this thing, which uh, is pretty cool. But they probably saw like a huge spike in downloads that day. But yeah, no. So so this this one shot in particular, I I mean, un- unfortunately, like I didn't get to read this like the day it came out. So like I was aware of some things going in, which we'll probably talk about in a bit. Very quickly, people spoiled some of the most sensational parts of the chapter. Yeah. Including the appearance of a very, you know, prominent political figure. Yeah, whose whose name rhymes with uh, Ronald Thump. Um, we don't need to sugarcoat it. It's Donald Trump. No, I was, like, was, was trying the, to be funny. The actual before. political <laughs> figures make appearances in this chapter. Mm-hmm. No, I get you. I just, every time I say his name, I just, like... I just get this feeling, you know, like it just doesn't feel good. Anyway, so um, yeah, this uh, I I was I was aware of some things going into the one shot, but like I wasn't spoiled on everything. Thankfully, like I I didn't see the ending coming, which I know I saw some discourse on. I I don't think everybody really liked the way it ended. Personally, I I thought it ended just fine. Yeah, I mean, it's established in the main series itself that everyone who uses a Death Note will die and they won't go to the afterlife. Like, that's a rule from the original Death Note. It doesn't matter how you use the Death Note. If you use the Death Note, if you're in possession of it, you are going to die. So, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, so in that sense, like, I thought it actually ended really well. And I thought it was a pretty decent twist, actually. Like, I really thought that uh, our main character here was going to make it out unscathed. And uh, unfor- let's just say that's not the case, unfortunately. I do think it's a little cheap, the twist towards the end, just because he had no awareness that the rules were going to be changed against his favor. But it is a bit of his own hubris that did him in, because he did tell Ryuk not to ever speak to him again. So that one flaw in his line of thinking was his undoing. So I do appreciate on that perspective, but it does feel a little, well, he couldn't have possibly have predicted that the Shinigami King would force Ryuk to change the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know what I have to say about the one shot in particular, other than I thought it was written very well. Like, I didn't, I thought the logic of it all made sense for the most part. I didn't pick up on anything that, like, I didn't think couldn't work. I just like seeing the Death Note used in a way that that didn't involve just killing people. I actually thought that was kind of clever. That's the most interesting part of the one-shot to me, is that they were able to write a Death Note story in which the power of the Death Note isn't used at all, 
Rather, someone is able to figure out how to use the death note without actually writing in it to get what he wants, which I actually thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm, for because sure. Because it's not what you would expect from a death note story, but it makes use of some of the rules beyond the rules involving killing in very fun ways. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, in general, I... I thought this made for a very good Death Note story. And it was the kind of thing that made me think, like, you know, like, because I know there are people out there who, like, who really want, like, a continuation of the Death Note. But personally, I I don't think a sequel series could ever work. Or at the very least, it'd be hard to come up with something, that uh, you know, feasible. You know what I mean? I mean, they say explicitly in this chapter that... Death Note can't really be done the same way today because, again, we're being monitored all the time. Like, there's so many cameras everywhere. It's very easy to hack into computers and listen in on conversations. Like, it is so easy for government agents to figure out who Kira would be in modern day. So you can't really do the Death Note story the same way today. Mm-hmm. So, like, how Minoru was able to use the power in this story was that he very barely had, you know, Ryuk show up anywhere. Like, it was very simple, and the simplicity was its invincibility. Because they couldn't monitor Ryuk when he was traveling underground, and he couldn't... All he was doing was holding up a piece of paper... He executed his plan in such a way that nothing could be traced back to one specific person, traced back to him, because he ultimately distributed the... At first, he made great use of social media, and then he he made sure, like, the scale escalated to the point where it couldn't be just individual people exchanging money. Now it was, like, in the hands of a government power, and then he had like the money distributed across hundreds of thousands of different people. So there's no way to pinpoint one specific person who had the death note. And so mm. like the simplicity of his plan was basically why they couldn't do anything about it. I will say though that Nier didn't even try and was completely useless. Like <laughs> he gave up very easily. Immediately he gave up. The minute he saw that Ryuk was traveling on the ground, he was like, well, there is nothing I can do. <laughs> Because there's no way to find out where Ryuk is going. He, I mean, he could have, though. You know, he could have thought about it logically and say, well, like, what could be the range of where Ryuk is traveling to? It still has to be someone in Japan. He could have figured out it was someone in Tokyo still. He could have, again, he could have easily hacked into people's computers all around Tokyo and spied in on conversations because Minoru was still talking to Ryuk in his room and stuff so there were ways to still figure it out I mean Nier could have put in some effort but in any case it was still not that much the point where it was like a cat and mouse oh Nier is gonna figure out Minoru's plan it's just like us as the readers are kind of trying to figure out what he's going for, and then, like, being surprised that, oh, so that was what he was thinking all along. Which was still pretty fun. 
But I do find it amusing that Nier, who is so perfectly clairvoyant in all his assumptions and theories in the main story, is now just completely useless and completely gives up like the first minute there's a complication. And then completely gets up on the idea of even possessing the net node because apparently he's now very patriotic, which is very anti-L, who did not belong to one nation or a country, so. Mm, yeah, that is kind of weird. Yeah, I was I was actually just about to ask, do you do you think this one shot could have worked just as well without Nier's involvement at all? Yeah, and, he didn't need yeah. to be there. He didn't do anything again. Like <laughs> he was just a sideline commentator. He was just there for the cameo. Matsuda did more by way of messing up and kind of legitimizing the fact that the power being distributed was real. Like that's if Matsuda anything, for Matsuda you. was the only character who needed to be in this chapter from the original series besides Ryuk. Because he's the only one who actually affected the plot in a meaningful way. Look, it's it's like I told you, Matsuda's Matsuda's the guy. He's my guy. He needed to, uh, like, it all comes back to Matsuda. <laughs> I mean, he's a great character, though. I mean, in this case, he messed up, but but he still I served the purpose. Seeing him, yeah, again, he was he was very much. Uh, good part of the plot like he fit in well like no other character would have done what he did to no. get that would have gotten the ball rolling in the same way <laughs> oh man yeah seriously yeah i mean um i guess is there is there anything else we want to bring up like it's weird i feel like i should have more say to more to say about this about this one shot at least on my end but like i don't know i just thought it was a good death note story like done really well yeah, I found it quite enjoyable. There are some things that I do find strange about it, and I'm not entirely on board with. Uh, a lot of it does boil down to kind of some of Oba's political perspective seeping in there. But also, I will speak towards a reaction I've seen people have towards the character of Minoru, uh, saying that he was very charitable. Oh, what a good guy. He distributed the wealth around to all the people of Tokyo. I will say that his plan involved, again, taking uh, like trillions of dollars from the United States, which, uh, you know, all that money comes from taxes and uh, comes from taxes on lower income people, especially. So when you think about how the United States government would pay for it, you know, that would really harm the lower income people in the United States. So from that perspective, he really hurt a lot of uh, people. But another side of it is that, you know, it was still towards his own end of getting like more than enough money that he would reasonably earn in his lifetime through this plan. Yeah. So it was mostly still just a cover. I don't really feel Minoru was like really righteous in distributing the wealth around. I mean, this entire scheme of his, he concocted two years prior to enacting it, knowing that he would need a account with the specific bank in Tokyo that he 
eventually gets an account with. And as a junior high student, he wouldn't have been able to get that. But as like a high school student, he would have. So that was kind of the whole reason for the two-year delay in of itself. So on that note, I will say that Minoru is still a very morally not upright character. He's not a murderer like like Kigami, but he is still very selfish in serving his own ends through the Death Note. I mean, because again, giving the Death Note to the United States, especially uh, Donald Trump, you know, uh, that actually exchanged hands. Uh, a lot of people were going to die, so yep. it was not <laughs> the ethically responsible thing to do. Not really, no, but I guess it just goes to show that uh, even if you don't have the intention to kill people with the Death Note, the Death Note somehow seems to bring out... It'll still bring out the worst in you, somehow, someway. Mm-hmm. In terms of, like, the whole idea of taking trillions of dollars from the United States to boost the economy of Japan by distributing it to a specific group of people in Tokyo, there is a bit of what I feel is some of Obe's nationalism in there. That is also kind of, I feel, reflected in how Shinzo Abe is kind of depicted saying that, oh, yeah, you know, it's so obvious that there's no uh, country that is not going to accept the death note if they can. So why even try? And so kind of portraying him as kind of savvy in that way. So yeah, there's some stuff in there that I'm like, hmm... Hmm. I will say, though, that Oba's sexism is painfully absent from this chapter by virtue of there being no female characters of an actual role. But, you know, that's at least we're free of some misogyny, so I can appreciate that. I was going to say, like, in this case, I would much rather just have no prominent female characters at all than badly written ones. Yeah. Which still really sucks to say, but, I mean, yeah. I will say... I really do appreciate Ryuk's jab at Trump when Trump is realizes that he can't take the death note because he will die. And so he's like, no, I'm not going to take it. And Ryuk is like, ah, right. You value your life over your country. That was a good dig. I appreciated that. Uh, yeah, that, that and was, then that's when good. Trump gives his whole plan of like, but I'm going to say I'm going to have it anyway, essentially lying. And Ryuk is like, Oh, very savvy, Mr. President. Uh, that was very amusing, indeed. <laughs> Overall, I think we're pretty positive on it, though. Yeah, I enjoyed it. For the most part, you know, it's an interesting story. And again, it's it plays with the Death Note rules in a really unique way that I didn't even think that Oba would go for, like, when I first heard there was going to be a Dunette Note one-shot, so I really appreciate the surprise of it. Mm-hmm. And speaking towards the potential of new Death Note stories, I would be interested perhaps in an anthology-style format of new Death Note stories, where it's episodic, real gives a Death Note to someone, we'll see how they use it. Mm. And I'm sure none of them would get as far as light, and that's kind of how it would work as an anthology, is that they would get caught and that the Death Note would change hands. But I do think that there'd be potential in that format of storytelling in the Death Note universe. Yeah, I think so. But I think we should move on to our next thing we're going to be talking about, a simulpub not from Shonen Jump. 
Yes, Ashidaka, the Iron Hero from Ryo Sumiyoshi. So this is an interesting title because it's being simulpublished in many different languages, so at least five from my recollection. We have English and Chinese and French and... I think Spanish? And another unique part about this, and perhaps one of the reasons that they decided to do this global push is that the artist of the series is Ryo Sumiyoshi. Ryo Sumiyoshi is well known as an artist. Uh, he was uh, with Capcom for many years, and he designed, uh, you know, monster characters and weapons and armor on the Monster Hunter series. Oh, wow. Street 4 and 10 especially. He left Capcom in 2015 and then did some freelance work in addition to other manga serializations. For instance, he drew the animal character designs for Golden Kamui's anime. And he's best known for actually doing a lot of BL and shoujo manga. So this is actually his first shonen serialization. Hmm, that's interesting. Which is quite interesting. But I think perhaps because of the pedigree of the artist, that's why they decided, hey, this would be a good series to do a global push because this could really catch on. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I remember when we reported on this at, uh, a little while back and, you know, just kind of thinking like, yeah, I like I, I like of all of all the of all the new series to Simon Pub like globally, like I wonder why this one, you know, but now now it makes sense. Mm hmm. It is a monthly series. Yes, uh, monthly shonen magazine. That's where it is published. And that's the same magazine that runs series like Noragami and uh, Welcome to the Ballroom. So. Hmm. Wow. And the story of Ashidaka, it's set in this world in which people have mechanical arms that they are born with. Our protagonist, Ashidaka, however, has more than one pair of mechanical arms. And people who have more than one pair of mechanical arms are called multi-arms. And they are discriminated against by society. They're treated as kind of evidence of evil because of an kind of ancient story in this universe in which... A devil that had a hundred pairs of middle arms destroyed the world. But God, who had his own hundred pairs of arms, came down. He banished the demon after a seven-day battle. And then he planted his arms in the earth. And so that's why humanity has arms. Because he gave his arms to humanity, basically. But, yeah. People who have more than one pair of arms are considered family of the devil. So that's why they are banished away. And if they can't be banished, they must be killed. By the laws of this society. There's a lot of discrimination, hate-mongering, fear of multi-armed people. Wow. So Ashidake, he lives in this scrapyard forest where he and his companion hunt drones, basically. They're kind of like wild drone creatures that are kind of insect-like. They have like, they're kind of six-legged and they have kind of like these mechanical eyeballs or whatever they basically hunt them for parts to repair their mechanical arms because if they if their mechanical arms fall into disrepair and they stop functioning they will die if their mechanical arms are destroyed they will die like they are very essential to their own lives so 
their arms are kind of meant to capture things. Uh, they can use them to grab things. Like, they have a lot of flexibility in how they can use. Ashidaka's unique skill is that he dismantles things. He can take things apart. and uh, As opposed to uh, how other people might use their arms to, like, destroy things. So, that's kind of his unique skill. But Ashidaka... He was abandoned in this forest as a kid by his mother, and he was raised by a guy who was supposed to kill him, but didn't because he smiled at him as a baby, and so he just couldn't bring himself to do it. And then, you know, basically, the first chapter, he kind of stands up for himself. He protects his companion. And fights off a bunch of, like, insects that are attacking them. And so, at the end of the chapter, though, a bunch of the insects kind of rise up into this metal mountain and transform it. And it summons, like, this hundred-armed centipede creature. Mm. And so, there's this whole idea of, like, a catastrophe is going to be reborn. Like, the devil has been reborn. And in the second chapter, the devil attacks, like, the village that's nearby... And then Ashidaka tries to protect his mom and is unable to protect her and she dies. But he manages to protect his little brother. And basically, Ashidaka vows to get revenge on the centipede monster. And so he and Geiji, his companion, they decide to track the monster by going to different towns, following its path. And they realize they can also kind of repair themselves by using kind of some of the parts from the monster, too. So, that's kind of the story and plot of Ashidaka. These characters with mechanical arms are tracking down this multi-armed centipede creature across this world of the story. So, I, I want to ask you this, because I, cause I, I feel like I'm probably going to be the only one who had this problem. I have very mixed feelings on Ashidaka so far. Uh, not not that I like dislike it, but I don't know. Like I I, I feel like the art really like took me out of the story a lot because I, there were times where I I had a lot of trouble like figuring out what was going on, especially during the action scenes. I completely agree with you. Actually, the art is very busy. There are a lot of lines and. A lot of things kind of get obscured, so it's kind of hard to follow the action and what is really going on. Because the background and the characters and all these different mechanical parts, they all like blend together. So it's kind of hard to like really fixate on what you should be paying attention to. Okay. I think the art is very, like, the technical skill is really impressive. Like, these mechanical designs, they are incredibly detailed. Oh, yeah. The gesture work, the expression work, all really excellent. Like, there's a lot of character and energy in this art. Like, it's very vivacious. But in terms of just being able to appreciate it as, like, an action story, it's just hard because there's too much going on. It could stand to be, like, less cluttered, have more blank space in panels, and perhaps more use of screen tones to kind of emphasize what we are looking at. 
in terms of like separating background elements and character elements. Yeah, because like th- there are times where like, and I mean like I, when I say this, I I don't I, I don't want to like completely disparage the art by saying this, but like I can't figure out another way to describe it. The, there were times like like the action scenes in particular, like it felt like I was kind of watching a lot of scribbles. Like yeah, I mean it's like you said, it's like, interesting. Everything blends together so much that like. Yeah, it it really it really kind of took me out of what was going on, unfortunately. There is a scribbly quality to some of the art, but for me, that's just evidence of some of Sumiyoshi's draftsmanship skill. Like he's really excellent because he's able to communicate like really precise emotion and yeah. really precise gestures so loosely. Like he's such a skilled artist, so. The fact that he is able to be as loose as he is is a strength of his art, but just in terms of readability, the problem is that it's just too detailed, so it's hard to like really appreciate just like how well drawn everything is. Mm-hmm. Because there is so much going on in just the designs of these mechanical arms and these creatures that it it's like really just hard to like appreciate in just one panel like you really have to spend time to study it but that would hurt the flow of the action and then when the action is happening there are all these speed lines going on and like just a lot of chaos that is just obscuring things even further so it's interesting that the uh, proficiency of the artist the skill of the artist actually one of it, the manga's weaknesses, because it's almost too well drawn for its own good. It's kind of the same problem Samurai Eight kind of had. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Is it any better in Chapter Two? Well, I described Chapter Two, and Chapter Two is where the plot of the manga you really get a sense of, because that's where Ashidaka's goal. In terms of the art, it's kind of more the same. I wouldn't say that I was able to really follow the fight with the giant centipede creature any better. Especially because this creature has such a sense of scale that I really couldn't grasp just with how the panels were used. And again, because of just how much line work there is that is, like, really hard to follow. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that I can't follow the action at all, but it's just that it's not the cleanest and most clear. There are definitely panels where I don't know like what is actually being done, what is actually happening. Yeah, I mean like like I said, like I, I think it's because of that that like like I said, I, I don't I don't dislike it. I would like to read more of it at some point, but I think maybe this is something I'll maybe I'll have to come back to at some point. Like I'm not really like especially with something monthly like very rarely do I feel like, very rarely do I feel like I, I'm able to read things monthly just because I have this thing where it's like, I got to keep up a certain momentum with some series. Otherwise, it's like, if I spend too much time away from something, I don't have that drive to read something like I like I did the first time. That's just a personal thing with me, though. That's That doesn't really have anything to do with Ashidaka, but... And this might be like a... I guess this, this is one of those things where, like, your mileage may vary on this kind of thing. But, like, like I said, for me, the, the art was so messy in places that, like, again, it took me out of my experience, unfortunately. 
And so I think maybe this is something I'll have to kind of shelve and maybe come back to another time. But other otherwise, I still, I mean, I still liked it and I still recognize, I still recognize its good qualities, though. I will say that I do think that the character artwork by itself is really good. Oh, yeah, for sure. In terms of character design, I really like, I really like Geiji, Ashidaka's companion, whose name I was kind of blanking on earlier, but I actually do really like his character. I really like how his hat obscures and shadows his face. I think that there are a lot of really cool panels with that character. I also like his sharp fangs uh, as well. <laughs> you kind of get an animal-ish sense of quality to some of the mad faces characters make which perhaps can be attributed to sumiyoshi skill drawing animal characters but i think that adds kind of a unique flavor to their characterization so i enjoy it quite a bit you can definitely tell from his from his design that he is supposed to be like like the thug with the heart of gold almost oh yeah definitely <laughs> love shark tooth dudes yeah they're usually the best um mm. I mean, is there anything else we want to talk about with Ashidaka before we move on? Or I will also probably wait for volume releases of the series to come out to continue reading it. I feel <laughs> that this is a series that, because of the speed it goes in terms of the action, and also kind of the slowness of actual like narrative, Like I feel like the first two chapters together are like one story that you should appreciate at the same time, because that's only by reading the first two chapters together do you actually get a sense of, like, the direction of the story. Mm. So I feel like that's another reason I would wait for the volume, is just because, based on these two chapters, I have a feeling that this manga is not appreciated best episodically, but rather in a sequence, in chunks, because of kind of the pace of the storytelling. Mm. Yeah, I think I would agree. But yeah, I mean, uh, for, for those of you who want to read Ashidaka, it is available on Comixology. It seems like they're putting out monthly chapters for $1.99 per. If you're a little more impatient than, than either of us, but you don't want to wait for volume releases, single chapters are on Comixology and are available if you want to read them. And so, yeah, I think from there we can finally move on to some jump starts because we have we we still have a whole bunch of show to jump to talk about. Indeed, there were three new jump start that debuted in the past couple of weeks: Undead Unluck, Mashal Magic and Mushels, and Guardian of the Witch. Let's talk about Undead Unluck first from uh, Yoshifumi Tozuka. A fair place to start, since that was the first one to come out of this set of three. Undead Unluck has kind of a unique power system. It's basically about characters who have the ability to negate things. They are called negators, very on the nose. Our main two characters have the ability of undead and unluck so andy who is our male lead who is like kind of a thug looking guy he's got dead tattooed on his arm and uh some interesting tattoo as well 1865 it's like it's an interesting thing in chapter four there's like a on the cover they kind of ask he has these interesting tattoos is there a story behind that uh, i guess we'll have to wait to find out but basically, his power is the undead. He can regenerate 
and he's very hard to kill. So his goal is actually to seek out the most awesome death possible for him. Because, like, he's tried all sorts of things, but he keeps coming back. So he really wants the ultimate that. And so our female lead is Fuko, who we get introduced to at the beginning of the manga, reading the final volume of Kimi no Todage and saying, ah, that was great, now I can kill myself. But basically, Fuko's whole deal is that she has the power of unluck, which negates the luck of the people who come into physical contact with her. And so people who touch her have unfortunate accidents, which increase in intensity the longer the duration of how much they touch her and also the intensity of her own feelings towards being touched. Hmm. So basically, when Andy comes across Fuko, he realizes the potential she has in giving him what he wants, which is, you know, the ultimate death. So he kind of kidnaps her and... They sort of form a connection just because Andy can touch her without dying. So he's able to do some things for her, like cutting her long hair, which she was not able to get cut because any barber who tried to cut it, you know, would be killed and whatnot. But Andy and Fuku are being hunted down by a group called the Union, who are after Negators. And the Union has in their employ a special group of 10 negators who work with them in exchange for immunity from, you know, being pursued on and experimented on by the government and whatnot. And so Andy and Fuku's goal is basically to get rid of two members of the Union of their, like, council of 10 negators and take their spots so they can have an immunity from, like, being pursued by the government and whatnot. And so they've already taken out one, which was like a giant robot-looking dude. But they couldn't defeat his partner, who is like this boyish Chinese guy called Shen. But Shen takes a liking to them after seeing like kind of their spunk. And so he offers them like a deal. Like if they take out a member of the union who is going to show up in Russia and, you know, they beat him then he will put in a good word for both of them to join the Union and get that special exemption. So that's where the story is heading towards now. All right. Well, I guess just to kind of start things off, I didn't know too much about this going in. I did see that um, when when Shona Jump on their Twitter announced that they were going to be simulpubbing this, I I saw a lot of people in the comments who like were talking about the initial one-shot of this that I guess ran in either Shota Jump or maybe Jump Giga, one of the two, that got published like a year ago at this point. And uh, a lot of people, you know, posting like screen caps from the one shot of Andy, you know, groping Fuka and whatnot. And uh, and like even like the first like first title page of the first chapter is basically just yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, initially, I was not looking forward to reading this because of that stuff. Like, I was really afraid that this series w- basically was just going to exist as, like, as an excuse to just constantly, like, grow up the main female lead. And while, like, I will say there is still some of that here every once in a while, I will say that I think I like this I really enjoyed the first three chapters of this. I actually was not expecting this to be as interesting as it is. Like, I was not... I was not expecting, like, the power set 
that we're introduced to here, what with all these uh, different, like, Yuma powers and whatnot. And, um, I don't know, like, in a way, like, I find the relationship that Andy and Fuka form really interesting, actually. And, I don't know, they're just kind of an unlikely duo that I really, I, I really, I actually want to see, I want to see more of this. Like, I'm, I'm actually really hoping this lasts. But whether that'll be the case or not, I'm not sure. I don't know, what, what, what did you think? I have mixed feelings about this because there are a lot of things I enjoy and some things that I really don't care for. The main thing I really like about the series is its power system. I really do like the Negator's power system of negating stuff that other people can do. And I think the combination of Andy's Undead and Fuko's Unluck can be used in really creative and awesome ways. Like the climax of the first chapter where Fuko kisses, like, where Andy decapitates his head, throws himself over to Fuko, and she kisses him. And that activates his Unluck, which is like a giant, like, meteor crashing into the building. That was pretty cool. That was awesome, yeah. So there are really cool things like that, that the combination of them together is really fun. And that extends to other characters in the series too that we've been introduced to so far. They also seem to have some interesting powers going on, like the robot guy that they fought had the ability to, you know, negate movements, so he was unavoidable. The uh, Shen, the Chinese dude, his ability was not clearly defined but it seems to make people do the opposite of what they intend to do so like unintentional maybe that's his power and then in the fourth chapter they hint towards other characters who belong to the group of 10 and their interesting power sets that i'm kind of interested to hear more about especially the woman who 50 years prior to the start of the story captured andy for the union and her ability to like create barriers like, I'm interested in her deal, too. I just want to quickly put out there that one of my favorite moments so far has been when Andy uses his uh, regenerative powers as, like, as like a boost, almost? Like, yeah. I'm not entirely sure, like, like, how that is supposed to work. Like, whether that's because, like, his regenerative powers are, like, just that fast, I guess. But, like, I like how he uses those abilities to his advantage. Like, how he gnaws off his finger the tips of his yeah. fingers to use his bullets like that's the kind of stuff i live for yeah using the explosive <laughs> power of his regeneration to like shoot up parts of his body like in the fourth chapter he like uses that on his fist to take down a helicopter it's pretty great oh that's so fucking cool <laughs> yeah so the power system in this manga is really interesting i really really enjoy the action on it I really don't like how Fuko is treated. Again, she is groped quite a bit in the first chapter, but there are also rape jokes made in the series of, like, Andy potentially sexually assaulting her. Like, the end of the first chapter is him saying, oh, if we have sex, then the power of your unluck is going to be really crazy. And so he's, like, chasing after her after she runs away. And then in the second chapter, she has to, like, lie to Andy to, like, convince him not to have sex with her. And then when in the third chapter, when she's like, well, one of us is going to be taken away. So I'm, I'll have sex with you to give you the debt that you want. He, like, 
slut shames her which is like the idea is like yeah. oh well i know that you don't really want to do this but he like yells at her for making this suggestion it's not like a kind put down like the way fuku is treated by the narrative and the way that she is like sexually exploited i really really don't care for especially since another aspect of like her unluck power it feeds off her embarrassment the more embarrassed she feels about being touched the stronger the power is this comes into play also in the fourth chapter where like it activates once she finds out that andy gave her mouth to mouth uh, when she was like unconscious to resuscitate her and also of course you know pushed up her bra or whatever and to pump her heart or something so it's like, yeah, I don't like that her power activates from being, like, physically violated. That's, like, really uncomfortable and invasive, uh, very exploitative. Even if the power is used in interesting ways, like, I don't like that it springs from her, like, embarrassment and from her feeling, like, kind of violated. Yeah. Or humiliated or, and stuff like that. So I'm hoping that, like, there are more moments, like, at the end of the first chapter, like, when she kisses Andy, like, it's, like, a mutual plan. And that that was, like, a cool moment because it's, like, a coordinated fuck you moment to the guy who was after them. <laughs> like, Fuka was in on that one and, like, that was satisfying. So... I would like in the future for them to use their powers together kind of on equal terms and not her kind of unwittingly having her power activated because she is feeling like embarrassed or humiliated because of how she's being touched. Yeah, see, that that's that's like the obviously that that is the worst thing about this series so far, which sucks because I, I, I love everything else. Everything else is great. Yeah, I mean... Again, power system, the art is really good, I and I really like the character designs. I really like both Andy and Fuku's character designs. Oh, for sure. Like, I, lo I love how he just has a piece of glass stuck in his forehead all the time. Yeah, a piece of glass that when he removes, it, like, gives him even more super strength because that piece of glass is lodged in his brain and sealing off his memories. So removing it, a lot when regaining those memories, he can do these super awesome things from his, like, years of experience that he stored inside and suppressed like that's cool idea too and also cool is that he he doesn't have a sheet for his like sword so he like literally sticks it in his back it's like pierced in his back and he redraws it and then in the fourth chapter he like jams it through his arm and <laughs> use it and like kind of to, uh, use it to like slash something and then also like hold it in place like it's like really really fun just the way he's able to, like, kind of mess up his own body because he can regenerate. And I think that's really, really interesting, too. Oh, man. Yeah, I hate to jump the gun here so early, but I think out of the three jump starts we've gotten, I think this is probably my favorite out of the three so far. There's a lot I really want to like about Again, there's still some of the uncomfortable aspects about it, but... There's just enough that has going for it that I want to see where it goes. No, I was going to say, like, yeah, that that's, yeah, I mean, it's a real monkey's paw thing where it's like, 
you know, uh, Undead Unlock, I think, is legitimately, like, one of the most interesting things we've had from Jump in terms of, like, a battle manga in a while. Mm-hmm. It feels very original. Like, I, I can't say I've seen or read something like this before, especially from Jump. But, like, like the dynamics and the rape jokes and whatnot, like, that's that's going to be something in the future where if this series becomes any kind of successful, like, that's just going to be, that's going to suck down the line because... Yeah, it's going to be an instant turnoff if this yeah. is successful and gets an anime. Like, people will watch the first episode and be like, nope. There are uh, going to be a lot of people. Yeah. going to have that same problem too if that lasts, but yeah, we'll see. That's going to be a huge, huge bar of entry for people who, who, who otherwise may think this is an interesting story. But. Yeah, and it will continue to be for how long it continues to use jokes like that. So yeah, hopefully the sooner it drops them, the better. I hope it does because otherwise. I legitimately think we have something really cool on our hands, and, like, I want it to last, but we'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. But in terms of favorites, I will say the next one we're going to talk about may actually be my favorite of these three, okay. and that is Masho Magic and Muscle by Hajime okay. Komoto. Masho is basically what you get when you fuse Black Clover and the writing of one. Now, aesthetically, it does very much resemble kind of one's shakier artwork and his character design sensibilities. The main character, Mash, he actually looks a lot like a beefed-up mob from Mob Psycho with his bowl cut and his <laughs> sleepy eyes and whatnot. And, yeah, kind of like Black Clover, it takes place in a world that is overrun by people with magic. It's a magic-based society. Everyone has magic, but... Those who are born without magic are murdered because they are considered worthless in this society. However, Mash's adoptive father, he saved Mash as a baby years ago and, like, raised him in secrecy. And because Mash couldn't use magic, he trained them to be super strong physically. However, one day after Mash goes into the city, he is found out as someone without magic. And so basically magic cops come to execute him. And after, you know, his father kind of stands up to protect him and takes a huge beating to kind of help let him get away. Mash comes in and just beats the crap out of all the magic cops. And then the head magic up after seeing like just how strong Mash is gets this great idea to enroll him into magic school so that Mash will become a chosen member of like the society who uh, a single exceptional student in this school is revered as God's chosen. They're called the Divine Visionary. And so the cop wants basically the cash and prestige would come with the title. So that's why he wants Mash to do this. And in exchange, he will spare Mash and his grandpa. And so to protect his father and his home, Mash agrees to enroll in this magic school. And basically also in the process, he wants to take down like the entire world, this magic society that casts aside people without magic. And basically in the chapters that have come out after the first chapter, he does just that. He uses his physical strength to pass all the tests 
and get enrolled in the magic school. Hmm. Yeah, so I thought this was pretty alright. I think so far as like a as like a comedy manga, I how do I put this in the words? So I do think that like the very one esque art hopefully will go go a long way towards like adding to the comedy of the series because I'll say so far that nothing has made me laugh more than the penultimate battle in the first chapter where the guy tries to throw a magic ball at MASH and he just kind of just kind of yeah, just, just kind of swaps it, it. <laughs> and then he does it again and MASH also swaps it away just the expressions the guy makes is also just hilarious it, yeah that, see that's the thing right like like the first time it's just it's literally like something out of like One Punch Man, like where like everything is like so intense and and really cool, and then it'll immediately devolve into like these very like plainly crudely drawn moments to kind of like reflect how much uh, the tension has just kind of faded away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the second time it happens, like I think the facial, the, like the specific facial reaction of of, uh, of the guy or whatever. I think really adds to the comedy of that scene because because uh, otherwise I don't think it would it would have been as funny. Like I feel like you know the person writing this I feel like knows what they're doing in terms of comedy. Mm-hmm. I thought those were the funniest moments so far. Outside of those, the only other like very little moment I thought was really funny was when he was when he was doing all of his magic tests. And there's this moment where, like, you you think he's using his magic wand to, like, lift up a rock, but he just has his thumb just, like, indebted into the rock. They basically draw it in a way where, like, you can't see it. It's like an optical Mm -hmm. illusion kind of thing. So, yeah, like, I don't have much to say on Mashal so far, other than I think moving forward, I think it'll get funnier, hopefully. Like, I think this definitely has the potential to to be a pretty good funny manga. Yeah. But I also think that one of the series' strengths is that it does have a good heart to it. I think that the emotional core, like, like Mash is a very likable character in terms of, like, his relationship with his father and how much he cares for him and stands up for him. Like, the connection he and his father have, like, both being people cast off by society and considered worthless, and which is why Wash's father, like, raised uh, Mash. Like, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, Mash standing up to the cops to protect him, and then, like, that being his entire reason to go into school, so, like, to protect his dad. And then the third chapter that comes back with the, like, Dumbledore-like headmaster kind of, like, steals, like, his dad's soul and traps him in his doll and, like, threatens to, like, stab and kill his dad and, like, mash and, like, pierces his hands on the blade. And he's, like, going to run out, like, the headmaster's, like, endurance. Like, he's... The knife is, like, piercing through his hands, and he's just gonna, like, hold it up until the headmaster, like, gives up. Like, I like the bond Mash has with his dad. In general, like, he's a good-hearted kid, because he also comes back from the girl who betrayed him in the second chapter and helps her out, too. Mm-hmm. It, like, like, his reasoning for that is because, like, I would feel bad otherwise. Like... I would have regretted it if I didn't help her. So that's why, even though I risk 
failing the exam, I went back. So I really enjoy that. I think that it's a, he's a very admirable protagonist and kind of very easy to get behind him. Mm, yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, I, I think in general, I'm very ready for something that is basically just a more comedic spin on Black Clover. Yeah. Because that's the thing, right? Like, I, I think I think this concept, I think, has a lot of potential for a lot of good comedy. Like, who... Like, it's it's basically like if Asta was just living his, uh, living his normal life in the Clover Kingdom, maybe. Yeah, it'd be... Mash is kind of Asta without the ambition to be great. All Mash wants is to live a peaceful life, and he's going through this in order to live that life with him and his dad. Yeah. You know, like, that's his motivation. It's just very simple, but, like, he's very determined to do it so i you know i it's very easy to get behind him mm -hmm. yeah i uh I, I think in terms of how i feel about it compared to everything else we've gotten so far like i like it enough i i think i definitely want to keep reading it for sure just to see where it goes if this series can pull off moments like it did in the first chapter and the second chapter which uh i love in the second chapter how like how the guy running the tests shows off all these like really cool magic moves like pulling up desk and everything how mash just keeps heckling him like couldn't you have done that earlier like why are you showing yeah. off <laughs> just completely unamused by this guy's posturing that's pretty great very more logically minded like you know you could have say been much more efficient if you had just done this all beforehand i'm hoping mash will uh, will be a series I can go to, kind of like with Mitama, where it's like, I can count on this series to give me at least a good laugh every once in a while. Yeah. But I guess we should just move on to our last one. Yeah, it's quite interesting that Masha resembles Black Clover more than the series by the assistant of Yuki Tabata, Asahi Sakano. Their series is Guardian of the Witch and... If it resembles any series, it resembles Attack on Titan. There yeah, is this walled city that is attacked by these giant beasts. In this manga, they're called evils, and they are just these grotesque-looking monsters that, you know, have, uh, I guess, a bunch of mouths all over them and spikes or whatnot. But basically, in this world, there are guardians who guard the walls, and there's also the witch, who is the one who's, like, kind of really responsible for, like, destroying all these evils. And the witch in this series is called Menasfa, and her guardian is Fafner. There's, like, a specific guardian for witches, you know, who are, like, the most, like, proficient knights in the country, like, they are assigned to guard the witch. And so Fafner, you know, he is very skilled, and so that's why he has this, you know, duty. But they aren't on great terms because Fafner really wants to be able to take out evils by himself and not have to rely on witches. Because he really doesn't like the whole mindset of people, like, kind of just relying on the witches and not, like, standing up for themselves, you know, yeah. to take out these evils. But eventually, we find out kind of the secret behind this whole system, in which actually 
uh, witches are not kind of like born with their magic. They are kind of like forcibly made. They like round up at regular intervals, like thousands of girls who turn 12. And then they are injected with a seed of evil that is harvested from evils. And that's how they become witches. And like nine out of 10 girls die. And then one of the, like, very few of those who survive can also die. And then, yeah, barely any actually live on to become witches. But also, they eventually will become evils. Because the seed of evil grows within them and, like, it corrupts their body. So it's kind of Madoka Magica-esque in that, like... Both the heroes and the villains are kind of two sides of the same coin because they become the villain after a certain point of time. Mm-hmm. Like how magical girls in Monica eventually become the witches in that series uh, after they use up all their magic and whatever. But yeah, so the true duty of a guardian is to kill the witch before she can become an evil. But, of course, Fafner does not go through with this because, you know, he overhears Manasa talking about how much she hates witches too and how much she just wants to be a normal girl and how she's, like, kind of a prisoner of this whole system. And so, like, he sympathizes with her and he protects her and then they run off together. And Fafner pledges to kill witches and make Manasa the last witch and find a way to, like, Return her to being a normal girl again. And that's basically the story. In the second chapter, they successfully escaped the kingdom. And now they are wanted by, like, uh, the entire government, like, the neighboring city-state. And they have, like, a huge bounty on their heads. Mm. Yeah, I thought this was, um, I thought this was kind of interesting. I only got to read the first chapter of this, and, uh, uh, I don't really have much to say on it other than because like, it's it's a lot of setup for I think for the rest of basically for what's to come so far. But I don't know. I'd like to see where it goes. I would agree that it didn't really surprise me, especially compared to Mashal and Undead Unluck. There is a lot of conventional kind of setup. In this series. Yeah. I will say that. I feel like. In some ways. The series kind of reminded me. Even more than Attack on Titan. Of Yui Kamio. In the sense that. The girls in this series. Are given like powers. To be used as weapons. By another force like in this case like a government force so like they're given power so that they can be controlled and that's kind of made very specific and explicit in the first chapter when Manaswa is talking about that how she's collared and she's like kept as a pet and stuff so I guess my main concern with this series and just with the uh, you know whole idea of like eventually you know Manasuka wants to be returned to a regular girl again it's kind of the implications of like you know these witches who are given like the great power are burdened with that power and so in order to become you know free they have to relinquish that power 
And so, yeah, again, that implication I'm just not too fond of. Like, I hope that there are eventually female characters in the series that have power and can, like, use that power that are not, like, burdened with, like, this extra baggage. Uh, because I think that's kind of an unfortunate aspect of it that, like, the female character in this series, you know, even though she's so powerful, ultimately needs to be protected and then eventually be relieved of her power in order to live a normal life. Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, outside of that, I just, compared to the other two, two new jump series, yeah, this, this one definitely felt a lot more conventional. Like, it didn't surprise me too much. I think I saw Maxi kind of tweeting about this a little bit. Like this really feels like something that this feels like something that would have ran and jumped back in like the early two thousands almost. This almost kind of feels like a throwback, except it's not. In terms of some of kind of the for lack of a better word, edginess of the manga, like there's a scene in the second chapter where Foster like bites his wrist because he wants to you know, remember the pain of getting hurt before he goes into battle as part of his routine. Like, that kind of style of writing definitely feels like a throwback to Shonen of that yesteryear. Uh, it also it does not help with the Attack on Titan comparisons, because Aaron also bites his tongue before he fights to activate his Titan powers. Yeah, unfortunately, this is one of those things where it's like, because there's only so much out, I don't feel like I have much to add to the conversation at the moment, other than I'm willing to read more of this to see where it goes, and I'm not sure if this really has anything to do with anything, but um, recently I think, I, I think I've decided for myself when it comes to these new Jump series, because it used to be that I would not start anything new until I saw how long it ran in the magazine. But, you know, in this day and age where Viz pretty much picks up almost everything at this point, um, and I have, you know, I'm I'm paying for a Shonen Jump subscription, like, you know, I figured I might as well give everything a chance at this point, since we're getting mostly everything at this point. I think my new rule is going to be, my new rule of thumb is going to be basically, I will give every new series about seven or eight chapters to kind of like see where it goes and like see how it develops because typically i, I mean un unless i just find something really really boring from the start or whatever a gravity boys i think i dropped around like four or five chapters in it just wasn't really doing anything for me personally yeah it t typically i like i think i could say that if something isn't pulling me in by the end of the first volume in like any way then i can't i don't know i think at that point i could say that like uh oh, maybe it's not for me or yeah maybe i want to maybe kind of like wait and come back to this when there's more of it or or maybe i just yeah or maybe it's just not for me i don't know because i've been feeling that way with uh zip man recently like i liked it in the beginning but at this point i just feel like it's really dragging its heels to really get anywhere um, unfortunately, so I think in terms of the witch's guardian or the guardian of the witch, like I said, so far I'm I do want to see where it goes because I think it could be like a really cool like sort of supernatural like adventure series maybe, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess for now we'll just have to see. I think that's very reasonable to give series like that seven eight chapters volumes worth before deciding where to continue with it. 
In general, if a series isn't grabby by then or really has established itself by then, it's also kind of unlikely to last very long. Yeah. Just from experience of previous jump series. And especially considering there are so many and you know, that are being serialized and simul published and there is always like a new rotation of new series just around the corner, it also kinda makes sense. Like that seven, eight chapter buffer period kinda takes you to the when the next round would start up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read everything just cause I find myself enjoying reading everything usually, so I am interested in seeing how all three of these series pan out and we'll see if they pick up and really find a footing and catch on. And I am most curious about Mashal and Undead Unluck, but Guardian the Witch could potentially also surprise, so we will see, I suppose. Yeah, Guardian of the Witch feels like it's probably going to be a slow burn, probably, so far. Which isn't a great fit for Jump. Jump usually Unfortunately not, no. To have series really hook people, like, immediately and get people talking. And so far, I don't know if any of these series have really gotten people talking the same way that previous, like, big hits really have. Like, usually, you know when something's going to be... A keeper when people are like really really talking about it like every week and you're hearing that discussion promise neverland was a big one in my mind that everyone was talking about like from the get-go and they oh, were like for sure. oh this is gonna be big this is gonna be big right now i hear the most positive discussion of mashal but we'll see if that actually extends beyond kind of the community of people that i interact with but I think it does hit some good bases that are very appealing to a lot of different people. So uh, maybe, hopefully. Yeah. Overall, I, I thought this. I thought this new round of jump starts was. Um, I thought they were good. I'm pretty like positive on all of them. Like, I feel. I hate to keep beating a dead horse at this point, but like this is such a breath of fresh air this round compared to when we got like Beast Children, Tokyo Shinobi Squad, and Double Taisei. Like. Like that that round in particular, I think, until we get something even more uh, lackluster, is going to be the round that I remember as being like, man, there was like almost nothing there, maybe besides Beast Children, that I was like actually interested in. Yeah. At least with everything here, like I'm actually interested in like keeping up with all of them, so. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah, if you're interested in keeping up with uh, any or all of these series, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure by, by the time you're listening to this, uh, the first three chapters of everything uh, we talked about here uh, will be available for free on Show to Jump, and uh, the first three I'm sure will probably be free, and then you know whatever latest three chapters there are will also be free for anyone who wants to keep up with it. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be sure to leave links in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But now that we've shouted out where to find all these great new manga, I want to now dovetail into our community shoutout segment and related to the topic of these new Shonen Jump series, 
I'm the Death Note one-shot. I want to promote Wensleydale Cheddar's channel again because they put out a mini-podcast on their thoughts on the Death Note one-shot and they described it in more uh, political context and analysis that I found very interesting, especially on how political figures like Trump or Abe are perceived outside of their respective countries in foreign media and how they are discussed and depicted there. I thought it was a very interesting commentary and perspective. But I also especially want to shout out Wednesday Dale's fantastic cross-account video in which both me and Colton contributed our vocal talents towards and is another just great analysis, not just a dissection of what made cross-account such an unpleasant read from a certain perspective, but also tying in the misogyny found in that series to a, a broader point about Jump's lack of female editors and treatment of women historically. And I thought it was a great connection to make and a great analysis and editorial and a really great video essay, so I highly, highly recommend it. Bless Wensleydale for reading Cross Account from beginning to end, because now we know that it's just as unbearable past chapter three. Yep, they detail every chapter, and yes, it certainly does not seem like it got a whole lot better. But yeah, I, in general, Wednesday Dale's analysis, really fantastic, and the video, really superb. One of my favorites they've done so far. But I also want to shout out a few new podcasts that I've seen pop up recently in the anime manga space that I've been very interested in. First, we'll start off with Shoujo Mojo, which is hosted by two women called Alexi and Alex, and it's not a shoujo-focused podcast, but they focus on anime just from a broad lens and share their experiences and insights. They've done an episode on Weathering With You and seeing it at the Anime NYC premiere. They've done a Fruit Practice episode of Sports Anime episode and it's just a fun conversational podcast in which they kind of you know just have a very casual chat about anime and it's quite enjoyable to listen to because the hosts have some very interesting stories they can bring up like one of the hosts was really into the pink power ranger as a kid so much that she would practice you know doing karate moves and martial arts in the hallway <laughs> and one day she was like kicking in the hallway just repetitively she kicked her brother so she got banned from watching power rangers oh, but then wow. she snuck like down on the stairs when her brother was watching the power rangers movie and then later that same night she punched him in the face <laughs> so there are a lot of really funny stories on this podcast that uh is, are quite amusing and yeah it's just a really enjoyable new podcast that i want to shout out I just want to say real quick before I move on, Shoujo Mojo is the most amazing name to anything I've ever heard, and I might just listen to that podcast on that alone. It really caught my eye. I mean, they're very early on, but like that title is so good. Like I was like, oh, this is interesting. I gotta check this out. I wish I could name things as good as that. <laughs> I also want to shout out Fan vs. Pro, which is a new podcast hosted by Justin Savakis, the former Answer Man over at Anime News Network. And much like his Answer Man column, Fan vs. Pro debunks myths and answers questions from people in the community, kind of moderated through the co-host Flip. 
who kind of brings up these topics. So they've talked about like bootlegs, like how anime is distributed in kind of the economy of making anime. Like uh, the problem with like poorly done research and perpetuating misinformation. And uh, probably one of the most interesting episodes is that they've explored the whole kerfuffle with Funimation and Interspecies Reviewers and the whole story of, like, why that show ever even got picked up in the first place despite its content and then how they could drop the show just so suddenly on into its running even after starting dubbing it. So that was a very interesting episode and Justin of course brings so much knowledge and insight into these topics from a very informed and educated perspective so it's really really entertaining and educational to listen to and also they of course like many podcasts go off on many tangents like very frequently they'll get off track and talk about diets or gym routines or all sorts of things so that's also kind of fun too but that's another good podcast. And another good new podcast is Saint Seiya Cosmocast. This is a really new one. They've only got one episode out in episode zero. But this is a podcast that purports to be the first Saint Seiya English language podcast. They are going to cover the series through the anime, both the new Netflix adaptation and the original series, which is available on Netflix. And I'm... I'm always very excited to see more people talk about Saint Seiya and excited to have a new Saint Seiya podcast kind of out and about as well. So that's really cool. Mm, that's pretty amazing. I I would have thought there were at least like maybe like one or two other Saint Seiya podcasts like attempted, but wow. Okay, I, I would I would have thought there would have been at least like other attempts. That's really interesting. There are Spanish Saint Seiya podcasts that I've seen, but not English ones. So that is very cool that they've taken the first step to make their own. Mm, and I think wow. this is a good time now that St. Seiya is more available than it's ever been. Oh, yeah. Probably the best place St. Seiya has been in a while, honestly, at least as far as I could tell. Mm -hmm. And lastly, I would like to recommend a recent episode of A&N Cast in which they explore the changing definition of anime and how it's being used both culturally and within the community of anime fans and how we can grapple with kind of trying to have these two different interpretations or these many different interpretations of the concept of anime coexist in our community space. So I thought it was a very interesting conversation they had on that episode and yeah another really interesting topic they discussed mm -hmm. yeah I, I actually listened to that episode a couple weeks back at this point and uh yeah I, I thought that was actually a really interesting discussion and uh i would definitely recommend that episode as well mm -hmm. but these other podcasts you mentioned i have not listened to yet because i, I i'm just hearing about them just now but uh i'm definitely gonna have to add them to my list these all sound really interesting yeah. Oh, and I'll also recommend recently the Annie Femme podcast, Trey F. They did like a walkthrough of Neon Genesis Evangelion with like two newcomers to the series. And I thought that was a very interesting podcast series 
just to see reactions from new folks to the franchise and old folks from the franchise kind of discussing like how their feelings may have changed over the years and how their feelings are going to into it. And it's particularly interesting because the newcomers didn't necessarily warm up to the series by the end of it, so their perspectives were very interesting as someone who is a fan of the series myself. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty cool, too, actually. But yeah, a lot of podcasts for you to go out and listen to after this. A lot of great recommendations that I'm excited to see more of. Yeah, if we if we don't already take up a lot of your podcasting time, maybe, then uh, go listen to all these other podcasts. <laughs> but I believe that's about it for community shoutouts then, right? For now, definitely. But we'll wrap up the show. Yeah, I was gonna say there's there's not really much else we need to talk about. I think at least not in not not until next episode, maybe. Basically, stay tuned for next episode because uh, next episode will be our survey episode. So that one will be a little longer because we didn't talk about any of it this episode because we had a little we had a lot of it, but uh, we will be going over news next episode as well as the results of our past. Manga Maverick survey, which uh, up front, uh, we want to thank everybody who took that survey, and as well as uh, congratulations to all the uh, giveaway winners that uh, won their books. I know some of them have received their books at this point, and uh, we hope you guys enjoy your prizes. So, there you go. Mm -hmm. But like I said, that'll be next episode. Uh, Hopefully that'll be out uh, the week after you're listening to this. Uh, That's the plan anyway. But yeah, for now, I think we could just go ahead and end the show by plugging our stuff. And uh, Lum, we'll start with you first. Where can the people find you? You can find me at LumRomayasha on Twitter and a variety of places like Animation, Revelation, and Animus, wherever there's a LumRomayasha, that's where you can find me. And you can read my manga reviews on all-comic.com. I've been doing a lot of them. I have a lot coming in, so definitely keep an eye out for some of those. Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely go check those out. As for me, I'm uh, I'm Colton. You could find my Twitter over at SniperKing323. Go ahead and follow me there if you want to. Uh, I also host a few other podcasts, such as uh, Life Lessons, the Gintama Maga Cast, One Podcast Prevails, as well as uh, some other patron-exclusive podcasts over at the, the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast, like uh, The Poltergeist Report, and uh, a new podcast over at that network that I haven't mentioned yet called the uh, Untitled Depression Horse Podcast, where uh, uh, Doc and I are going over BoJack Horseman season by season. The first episode of that is out exclusively over at the uh, Ask Backwards Anime Podcast Patreon at ssaanetwork.com. We just recorded the second episode of that, and so hopefully that'll be out by the end of the month. So. If you're a fan of BoJack Horseman, just like uh, just like I am and Doc is, uh, you know, you want to go ahead, sign up for our uh, Patreon and listen to that. Uh, it's a really good discussion, and uh, I can't wait to record more of that. But uh, basically, the point I'm getting at is that you can find links to all of these podcasts over at uh, my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I need to update that with some of those podcasts, and uh, hopefully in the future, like, maybe all the podcasts I've been, like, a guest on maybe that's that might take a little work but uh hopefully i'll update that at some point but uh 
Yeah, as for Manga Mavericks and All Comic, you can find every episode of the podcast over at all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you are a patron. Again, over at our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. At the $2 tier, you can find early editions of, uh, of episodes, you know, just depending on when we have those edited. So, yeah, if you want a chance to listen to the podcast early, that's your best chance to do so. Again, that's only uh, that's, uh, that's only for $2. And uh, we also have our $5 tier, where if you sign up, you get a bonus podcast at the end of every month, guaranteed. More info on our next bonus podcast soon. Uh, that's all I will say. But for now, you know, we, we have a bunch of other stuff you can listen to, such as our a recent podcast on the comic, uh, which is a new miniseries from uh, Kazuki Takahashi that uh, came out in the show to jump back in 2018. And we talk about that with its translator, Stefan Koza, who we've also had on the show, uh, as well as a bunch of other bonus podcasts, such as some bonus episodes about movies, all kinds of reviews on a bunch of different manga that we haven't uh, uploaded on the main feed and just all sorts of stuff. Again, you can listen to all that for $5 if you sign up for that tier. And uh, yeah, again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. But as for all comic in general, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow manga mavericks in particular, you want to follow us on twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com. For the latest updates on the podcast, especially at Twitter. And then it looks like we started uploading again a little bit here over at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. I just noticed that uh, we put up our My Love Story discussion. So uh, if you want to go listen to that, maybe go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Basically, where we'll upload uh, different chunks of the podcast, such as uh, different news pieces, discussions and reviews, and sometimes even some exclusive content. So again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Go uh, follow us there. And then you can email us anything about uh, about manga, the podcast. You know, what, what are you reading? Uh, you know, let us know. Uh, what do you think about all these new silo pubs? Uh, what did you think about the new Death Note one-shot? Uh, if you have any thoughts and you want to share them with us, you know, just email us at mangamavericks at gmail.com. We love getting emails, and we love reading them on the show. So, yeah, definitely go send us something over there. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the visibility of our show. It helps people find our show uh, a little easier. So, yeah, uh, if you have the time and you wish to do so, uh, please leave us a rating and review. We would really appreciate it. All right, but I think that's going to about do it for this episode of the podcast. This has been the Manga Mavericks podcast over at all-comic.com, episode 111. And we will see you guys next time for episode 112. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Sayonara!